You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Obedience Brings Life. As with other covenants of the time, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is repeating God's covenant with Israel. Covenants would begin with a historical prologue. That was chapters 1 to 3, where Moses recounted a selective history of their redemption, victories, and failures. Next, he will get into the covenant itself after he stresses its importance. Moses first ties hearing and obeying God's word to life. Follow them so that you may live. It was a life and death issue. Later he'll say, they are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So these are not just sterile, dead rules to follow, but they come from a deeply personal, loving God whose relationship with them sets them apart from other nations. Then he says, do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it. He will repeat this in Deuteronomy 12:32, and Solomon will say something similar in Proverbs 30, verse 6, and the Bible concludes with John saying, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from the, this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. When Moses says it, it cannot refer to just his words in the first five books because more will be written, coming from the mouth of God and also from him through the prophets. It cannot end when Solomon says it either because there was still more to come. But once the book of Revelation was completed, the canon of scripture was closed. It is at that point that we are not to add to or subtract from his words. So that means no Book of Mormon, no New World translations that erase references to Jesus' deity, and no Koran. God's word is complete and sufficient. All that is needed to know was told to them and us. Verses 3 and 4, Example of Their Parents he reminds them of the incident at Baal Peor that they witnessed. This was after the messages God gave to Balaam. He was not allowed to curse Israel, but bless them. So afterwards, he enticed them to sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. Only those who obeyed the Lord's commands were still alive. The rest were destroyed. Their lives really did depend on the word of God. Verses 5-8, through eight, Israel's Privilege Moses says he taught them decrees and laws as God commanded them. Some versions say statutes and judgments. These are permanent rules of conduct fixed by God, and others deal with judicial decisions which served as precedents for future guidance. They were to follow them in the land they were about to enter. These would be the laws of the land. They were to observe them carefully, as this would be an example and witness to other nations. Here we see God's missionary heart. He says, For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? They needed to appreciate their privileged situation. They were morally and spiritually unique. The law was distinctive because their God was righteous. And this would draw peoples to him. Their God was living among them. He cared about everyday life and how they treated one another. He was to be worshipped in the way he commanded. Verses 9 to 14, Command to Teach. This next section has the basic lesson for Israel to learn, to fear and reverence God. They were to be diligent and careful so that they wouldn't forget the things they had seen or let them fade from their memory. Forgetfulness is the enemy of faith. When we meditate on the greatness, glory, and goodness of God, we will adore him and fear offending him by sinning. They were told, teach them to your children and to their children after them. This is repeated in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 11, 19. Each new generation needs to learn about God or they will revert back to paganism. One experience they were to especially remember was the day they heard the actual voice of God from heaven. He reminds them, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two, ta two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. He reminded them of the terrifying circumstances of the event. He also called God's covenant the Ten Commandments. Although God's wisdom and power can be seen in creation, only Israel was favored to see and hear from God in language that they could understand. To sum it up, he's saying, People, listen to God's word. Never forget it. Teach it and obey it every day of your life. Verses 15 to 20, Idolatry Forbidden. They heard his voice but didn't see any form. Therefore, he says, you saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like an, an any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up at the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. And all these would be things that they would make into idols, people, animals, birds and fish. They would be enamored by the heavenly bodies, but God created them for the good of all nations of people. 
Genesis said they were to mark sacred times, days, and years. Why serve things that are meant to serve us? So this encompassed the first and second commandments. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. All the rest of the nations worshipped created things, but they were to worship the Creator who took them out of Egypt, described as an iron-smelting furnace, to be the people of his inheritance. They were redeemed for a relationship with God. A furnace was for testing and purifying. Their time there would make them more useful to witness to the nations. Verses 21-24, through 24, God is Jealous. Moses was responsible for the sin that led to him being barred from entering the Promised Land, but he tied it into their rebellion and complaining, which instigated it. He says, The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. He wouldn't have lost his temper if their constant whining and complaining had, hadn't worn him down. By emphasizing his loss, he wanted them to appreciate what would be their gain. They must not lose their inheritance by idolatry. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you, do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Then the reason for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. A consuming fire utterly consumes or destroys anything in its path. To see this, put a dried leaf next to an open flame. The fire will not hesitate to consume it within seconds. Even if the fire did not want to consume it, it couldn't help it. It is in its nature. The nature of the leaf and the nature of the fire are diametrically opposed to each other. In Deuteronomy 9.3, Moses will say that God goes ahead of them into Canaan as a consuming fire to destroy their intimidating enemies before them. Yes, there would be mighty nations and even giants, but God would destroy them and bring them down before them. There were some incidents when God destroyed by literal fire, when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, when Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu offered profane fire, when the Israelites complained in Numbers 11, during the rebellion of Korah, fire went out and destroyed 250 men, when Elijah called down fire twice on soldiers who came to arrest him, and when fire fell from heaven to destroy Job's flocks. Other times, God answered by fire, as at the beginning of the Aaronic priesthood in Leviticus 9, at the end of the plague which resulted from David's unlawful census when he built an altar, and in the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Isaiah 33, 14-16 says, The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, 
who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. These verses ask who can stand in the presence of such a God and then answers that only the righteous can survive. And this echoes Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. We saw in the Ten Commandments that God's jealousy was for his honor and glory. The second commandment is, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And this would be repeated in Exodus 34:17, Do not make any idols. And this would include superstitious thoughts, which uh, fear evil spirits or the unknown, or trust in magic or chance. Later, God would impose the death penalty for idolatry. And the basis of this was the jealousy of God, which provokes his wrath. Unlike our jealousy, which is sinful, God's jealousy is right and good because he alone is worthy of worship and therefore he demands we love him supremely. To allow his glory to be stolen by any lesser creature is offensive because he is unique. Unlike us, he is not insecure, needing our love to feel complete. Rather, we should love him simply because he is the only truly lovable being in all the universe. In Deuteronomy 32:21, God says, They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. And this was a prophecy about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. Idolatry provokes God's righteous anger, which is justified when his holiness is disrespected. Verses 25 through 28, Consequences of Idolatry. Then Moses warns, After you have had children and grandchildren, and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land you, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. Moses foresaw that this would happen within a few generations. He called it becoming corrupt, doing evil, and arousing his anger. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And this pictured a small remnant compared to their original numbers. And this would happen when Israel was taken to Assyria and Judah to Babylon. Just as Adam and Eve disobeyed in the place that God had provided for them and they were sent out, so, if Israel disobeyed in the place God provided for them, they would be exiled. These are shadows of the final banishment of sinners to hell 
for a lifetime of disobedience and rebellion. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Since they worshipped idols in Israel, they would worship them in exile too. Compared to the living God, these gods, which were made man-made out of wood and stone, could not see, hear, eat, or smell. Psalm 115, 4-7 says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, feet, but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Isaiah says of the futility of idols, They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Verses 29-31, to 31, Hope in the Midst of Judgment In the midst of these dire warnings of judgment, he offers hope. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. He foresees that they will not be completely destroyed because of the mercy and grace of God. He keeps his covenant even when they are unfaithful to it, but it is contingent on repentance. They are to seek him with all their heart and soul, their whole being. Distress and suffering often lead people to come to their senses. Verses 32 to 34, Israel is unique among the nations. Moses appeals to history, both world history and their own, to compare the unique privilege Israel has among the nations. He goes back as far as creation, which was the beginning of time for humans. He says, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds? like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. They heard God speak from heaven and lived to tell about it. The establishment of their nation was unlike any other, since they were miraculously taken out of one country and planted in a land occupied by other nations. Verses 35-40 through 40, The Reason for God's Favor on Them there were several reasons why they were singled out from among the nations of the earth. First, so they'd see the uniqueness of their God. He says, You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. God was unique. Pagan deities had to be placated, yet they were useless because they were no gods at all. 
but the God of Israel was alive, powerful, loving, and engaged with them. He spoke to them, provided for them, and cared enough to discipline and direct them in the right way. Next, to discipline them. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. So this recalls the giving of the Ten Commandments. He allowed them to hear his voice so they'd believe him and Moses. So the basis of this great act by God was motivated by his love and his election of them and his faithfulness to his covenant to Abraham to give this land to his descendants. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Notice love chose and brought you out. It was his presence that went with them out of Egypt. This was personal. Because God is unique and alone worthy of praise, they were to recognize it and act accordingly. Obedience was their reasonable service in light of all the goodness he had shown them and would yet show them. Obedience showed their love for God and disobedience broke the relationship as surely as infidelity destroyed a marriage. Disobedience was not just breaking a law but rejecting the lawgiver. He says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. This obedience, which was in response to God's blessing, would itself bring blessing. It would go well with them and their children after them, and they would live long in the land. It was given to them for all time, but was conditional on their obedience. Verses 41 through 43, Eastern Cities of Refuge Named as an example of obedience to God's command, Moses set aside three cities east of the Jordan as cities of refuge. The other three would be chosen once they crossed to the other side. We studied cities of refuge in Numbers chapter 35 and saw how beautifully they pictured Jesus Christ. They were intended for cases of manslaughter, so the person would be safe from retribution and execution by the avenger of blood until they could have their day in court. These cities were Bezer for the Reubenites, Ramoth-Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the tribe of Manasseh. Verses 44 through 49 recap. Next, Moses will begin a recap of the law itself. These stipulations, decrees, and laws were given by Moses near Beth Peor, east of the Jordan. This would remind them of the failure of their parents in that place that was judged so severely. It is a wise person who learns from the mistakes of others and does not repeat them. These laws will encompass chapters 5 through 26. Then he will recount the accompanying blessings and curses in chapters 27 and 28. He reminds them they are standing in the land formerly owned by Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ 
or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Israel had unique privileges and advantages because God lavished his love on them, chose them, and made a covenant with them. Paul mentions this so that Gentiles do not boast against the Jews for their unbelief, because Gentiles have them to thank for the history and patriarchs and the word of God. Believers are redeemed because of God's love, his election, and his covenant. Israel needed to understand how great a privilege it was to be able to speak to God at any time. We can approach God any time because Jesus has made a way for our sin to be put away permanently. And because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who helps us to pray when we can't find the words. What are laws made for except to be obeyed? When Moses encouraged Israel to obey God, it wasn't because of obligation, but because of a loving relationship. And we obey Jesus because we love him. It is evidence that we are his people. If they obeyed God's good and holy laws, the surrounding nations would see that they are blessed and their God is good. When we do good works, others see them and glorify God in heaven. They were told to ask and see if there has ever been a precedent set before where God took one nation out of another and spoke to them directly. We are also to remember our redemption from slavery to sin. What other religion has their God died for their creatures? None. They were to teach their laws to the, their children, and we are to teach our children as well. God is described as a consuming fire. By referring to God in this way, we see that he must, by his very nature, consume anything that opposes it. He has not changed, and he, as he is described that way in Hebrews 12.29, therefore we are to worship him with reverence and fear. In a forest fire, the only safe place is where the fire has already burned. In the fire of God's judgment, the only safe place from the wrath of God is in Christ, where God has already judged our sin. Idolatry was forbidden because it misrepresented God as a creature rather than the creator. Revelation, not imagination, is the only legitimate portrait of God. Jesus is the only exact representation of God. God threatened them with exile if they practiced idolatry, and this happened to them. We are to avoid idols still. Even when they were in exile, if they truly repented and sought God, he would be found by them. Though we are estranged from God because of our sin, yet if we repent and turn to God and seek him, he will be found by us. Then we can truly love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Moses pleaded with Israel to remain faithful to God. Jesus, a greater than Moses, pleads with us by his dying love. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 5. May God bless the study of his word.